Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I want to say thank you, Dan, for uh, blessing us and encouraging us um, this morning. Um, one of the things that we're going to see in the text of Scripture before us today is the importance that in order to be edified, in order to um, be encouraged as Christians, the, the content is important. Uh, we need to understand, we have to have knowledge, we have to know God's Word uh, in order to be uh, edified and encouraged. And that really is what this uh, section of Scripture is about in front of us, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5 today, um, verses 1 through 5. So turn there with me, 1 Corinthians 14, beginning of verse 1. Uh, but before we get to that, one of the things that I wanted to start off today with is that one of the most commonly held beliefs about worship today is that worship ought to bypass the mind and go straight to the heart. Now, I have not taken a survey on this or anything of that nature, uh, so maybe this is more of a guess or an intuition, but I think typically today in most churches, that uh, there is a belief that worship ought to bypass the mind. And I think we can observe this throughout uh, across America. And we can observe this specifically in the priority of the emotional and the minimizing of the doctrinal. Now, I'm not saying here at the outset that we ought not have an emotional response to God's Word. We ought to have an emotional response to God's Word, but it ought to flow from the truth of Scripture. I want to read to you something that R.C. Sproul said uh, that was very helpful in this regard. R.C. Sproul said this, Real love is not an involuntary thing. It is something we do purposefully based on our knowledge of the person we love. Nothing can be in the heart that is not first in the mind. And if we want to have an experience of God directly where we bypass the mind, we are on a fool's errand. It can't happen. We might increase emotion, entertainment, or excitement, but we're not going to increase the love of God because we cannot love what we don't know. A mindless Christianity is no Christianity at all. If we want to love God more, we have to know him more deeply. And the more we search the scriptures and the more we focus our mind's attention on who God is and what he does, the more we understand just a tiny bit more about him and the more our souls break out in flame. We have a greater ardor to honor him. The more we understand God with our minds, the more we love him with our minds. God has ordained, and he did not consult us when he did this, but God has ordained that he would get to our hearts through our minds. This is why preaching is so prominently featured in the New Testament. This is why we are called to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The content of what we are singing is foundational to our worship. This is why Jesus says in John 4, 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth after knowledge, after understanding. Worship must be done in truth. The content of our worship, the content of the songs that we sing is paramount. Churches all over our nation, including churches here in Wayne County, 
right now are preaching or are just concluding their summer sermon series uh, at the movies series. I've seen sermons themed after Frozen, The Incredibles, The Avengers, Jurassic Park, and Back to the Future. I want to read to you what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said. Present-day religion far too often soothes the conscience instead of awakening it and produces a sense of self-satisfaction and eternal uh, safety rather than a sense of our unworthiness and the likelihood of eternal damnation. He said this in 1930. G. Campbell uh, Morgan wrote this, when amusement is necessary to get people to listen to the gospel, there will be failure. This is not the method of Christ, to form an organization and provide all kinds of entertainment for young people in order that they may come to the Bible classes is foredoomed to failure. And then back to Martin Lloyd-Jones again. The world today is laughing at the church laughing at her attempts to be nice and to make people feel at home. My friends, if you feel at home in any church without believing in Christ as your personal savior, then that church is no church at all, but a place of entertainment or a social club. For the truth of Christianity and the preaching of the gospel should make a church intolerable and uncomfortable to all except those who believe, and even they should go away feeling chastened and humble. Now, while today's message from 1 Corinthians 14 is not directly aimed at the seeker-sensitive movement, it is a message that acknowledges the unbreakable link between doctrine and edification. If we are going to grow as Christians in our sanctification, if we are going to be blessed as Christians, if we are going to be edified, then we have to know the truth of God's word. This does not happen in some sort of a, a vacuum. Today's message is about the reality that you cannot bypass the mind in order to get to the heart. You cannot adjust the content of your worship and expect to get God-glorifying results. Now, I am going to steal a phrase from a friend of mine, and I'm going to use it abundantly in the message today. And so I am acknowledging the source of this uh, statement here, this phrase. But many of you know, and he has preached in our church before, uh, Dr. Mark Ward, and he, when he studied this passage, coined the phrase, edification requires intelligibility. Edification requires intelligibility. It requires understanding. It requires knowledge. To be edified requires that you know truth about God and his word. So let's go ahead and begin here by reading the first five verses, and hopefully you'll see here right off the bat how this connection between understanding truth and being edified is a link that cannot be pulled apart. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. 
We're going to look at this portion of Scripture in just two sections. There's a command given to us in verse 1, and then there is a reason for this command given in verses 2 through 5. And so we begin here by looking at verse 1, and we see the command, and really specifically there are really two commands. We read in verse 1 that we are to, number one, pursue love, and number two, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Now, I want to connect this to the broader context of 1 Corinthians because we have been working through the book of 1 Corinthians, and last week we just finished 1 Corinthians 13, but I want to go back in time to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to look at the very last verse of 1 Corinthians 12, and we read this, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. What was that more excellent way? that he was going to show us, that we spent an entire chapter in, chapter 13. That was the way of love. And if you remember specifically, that love chapter comes in the middle of a section on spiritual gifts. And Paul is uh, really rebuking these Corinthian Christians, telling them that they're abusing spiritual gifts, they're using God's giftedness in their lives for their own selfish purposes. And so Paul starts off by talking about spiritual gifts in chapter 12, and then he says in chapter 13, and oh, by the way, your motivation for using these spiritual gifts and the heart behind using these spiritual gifts is paramount. That is his still more excellent way. And so you see chapter 12 ends with this statement that I'm going, I want you to earnestly desire these higher gifts, but I'm going to show you a more excellent way, and that is the way of love. And then look at how chapter 14 begins after he has taken this little chapter to talk about love. He says almost the same exact thing in verse 1 of chapter 14. He says, pursue love, which is that still more excellent way, and desire, as he said before, the spiritual gifts. And this time he says, especially that you may prophesy. He showed us in chapter 13 why love is superior and why the gifts in and of themselves were not as important as the way they were used to bless and edify others in the church. And so now he's back in chapter 14, kind of to brass tacks. He gets down to the practical, and here is his point. It's okay. In fact, it's even good to desire spiritual gifts. Just make sure that you are desiring these spiritual gifts for the right reasons. And so he says, I want you to pursue love. The, the word has the idea of to hunt down or to chase after. I want you to hunt down love. I want you to chase it down. I want this to be something you prioritize. And then he says, I want you to desire the spiritual gifts. And so he says, Pursue love and desire the gifts. He gives a little bit of a stronger command to the pursuing of love. I want you to pursue this, chase this down, run after this, and yes, I do want you to desire these gifts. And then he gives us a very unique statement. He says, especially that you may prophesy. Now, what does this mean? Let's give a little bit of a definition here. The word prophesy means simply to proclaim an inspired message. We are familiar, of course, with the prophets who prophesied. The prophets would proclaim an inspired message. And sometimes those inspired messages from the prophets came from direct revelation. And then sometimes they preached based on what God had already revealed in his written word, what they had at that point. 
But prophecy, keep in mind, in Scripture is not only talking about the particular situation where God gives direct revelation to a prophet. It is talking about proclaiming God's revelation or God's inspired message. And so what we would acknowledge here then is that preaching is prophesying. It is proclaiming a divine message. Since God is communicating to his people through the Bible today and not through direct revelation, the gift of prophecy today is proclaiming inspired messages from Scripture, from the Bible. Simply said, to uh, preach is to engage in prophecy. To teach Bible studies is to uh, exercise this gift. To write godly music based on Scripture is to prophesy here in this sense. It is to proclaim a divine and inspired message from God. And Paul says, and by the way, uh, we're not going to get to this today, but later on in chapter 14, he encourages us to, um, uh, to compare what is prophesied with what scripture that we have. And so if someone were to claim, I have the gift of prophecy today, we are to take that and put that next to scripture and determine whether or not he is faithfully preaching what God has said. Now, Paul says that you ought especially desire that you can do this. And the reason is uh, immediately uh, apparent in the next verse. He says in verse 2, For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. And so really, for these first five verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the Apostle Paul is just comparing and contrasting two gifts that God gave. One of them is the gift of prophecy, and the other one is the gift of tongues. And he says, prophecy is better than tongues. The gift of tongues, of course, as we know, we've been working through this passage here, uh, 1 Corinthians, for some time. The, the, the gift of tongues was a gift where you could speak in a language that you previously did not study or understand. And you remember the purpose of this gift, the, the purpose of this gift, particularly as we see it coming to the forefront in, in the book of Acts, is that someone who did not have any scripture or gospel witness in their language could hear the gospel preached in their language, and God would give this gift to people to be able to do this. But you are going out in, in, in town, and all these foreigners are here, and you are using this gift of tongues and preaching their language, and then all of a sudden you come into the church, there is no need to speak other languages here, because presumably here everyone is speaking the same language. Here at Crossview, for example, we're all speaking English, though some of you may know other languages. We're, and so there's no reason to uh, use this gift, and of course we saw last week that, we, that this gift is no longer... Um, being used today. However, um, even if it were, the context would not be to use that when people are not able to understand what is being said. The purpose of the gift of tongues was to preach the gospel to those who did not have the gospel in their language. And so here is the purpose of tongues. The purpose of tongues was to give understanding where there was none. That's, that's the whole reason God introduced it. The gift of tongues was to increase understanding. It was to 
communicate knowledge. It was to communicate facts about the gospel, about God and his word, and what he had done. And do you realize that what is going on here in the church of Corinth is doing the exact opposite of what the gift was designed for? God gave this gift to increase understanding, and they are using it to obscure understanding. You see how this is completely at odds with what God has designed this gift to do. You're not so, what, what are you accomplishing by speaking something that nobody else understands? That doesn't edify anybody. That doesn't accomplish anything. And so tongues are supposed to be, or at least when they were uh, given by God here, um, they were designed to give understanding instead of obscure it. Now remember our principle that we opened up with here, and that is edification requires intelligibility, or edification requires understanding, it requires knowledge. And that is the contrast in verses, uh, in verse 3. In verse 2, we read that if you speak in tongues, nobody understands you. But here's what we read in verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies, let's look at this gift, speaks to people for what? Their, number one, upbuilding. Number two, their encouragement. And number three, their consolation. Do you see how what is necessary for upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation is understanding. He's saying, when you are speaking in tongues, they're not being uh, uh, edified, they're not being encouraged, they're not being blessed, because they have no idea what you're saying. That's why he says prophecy is better, because they do understand what you're saying. And because of that, they can be edified. They can't be edified without it. They need it to be edified. So let's contrast these two gifts. He says, when you speak in tongues, nobody understands you, but when you prophesy, it works towards upbuilding, encouragement, consolation. Here's what this means. You must understand God's word if you are going to be encouraged, blessed, or edified. John MacArthur says this, many in the church today confuse emotionalism for worship, but emotional experiences... Now, listen to the way he says this. This is very important, the way he says this, okay? He's not saying... Emotion is bad. So no one leave here today saying that I said that emotion is bad and evil, okay? I'm not saying that, okay? Listen to how he says this. Emotional experiences that are not governed by theological truth do not honor the Lord. Genuine worship engages the mind. It does not bypass it. Now, if I had to flesh out this thought fully, we're, we're kind of talking about one side of this that it has to engage the mind. But if we were going to talk about this fully, we would say that that theological truth does go through the mind and it does eventually end up in the heart. In fact, if it doesn't end up in the heart, that is a sign that you have not really embraced that and believed it. Okay, so genuine understanding about God and about the gospel and about the word goes through the mind, and it does land in the heart, and we will respond with an emotional response, okay? 
Now, of course, that varies as we have different temperaments and so on and so forth. But there ought to be an emotional response. And if that does not exist, then we have to question whether we have believed it in the first place. But the point of this passage is that it does go through the mind. It has to go through there if we are going to um, uh, understand and respond appropriately. And so that's why I like how MacArthur has worded this. Emotional experiences that are not governed by theological truth do not honor the Lord. They must be governed by theological truth. The, the, the theological truth of Scripture, the knowledge of God's Word, is kind of like the railroad tracks that guide where my emotions ought to go. I ought to respond in joy to this. I ought to respond in anger to this. Uh, and it, it, it teaches us how we ought to respond to truth and to reality. Practically speaking, this means that emotionalism, and I'm talking about raw emotionalism in and of itself, this is ultimately unhelpful because it seeks to bypass the mind. And so I want to give you a few examples of this. What are some ways in which we can observe throughout the history of the church uh, people violating this principle, and then we can kind of land it a little bit closer to home? But I want to give you a few examples of where um, church experiences are done in such a way as to bypass the mind. The Roman Catholic Church comes to mind, and today they still, not all churches, but there are churches in the Roman Catholic Church that does Latin Mass. Now, from uh, my understanding, uh, if you go to a Latin Mass uh, service, about 90% of that service is in Latin. Now, setting aside the obvious theological issues between uh, Protestantism and the Roman Catholic Church, Holding a church service in another language entirely is a direct violation of this principle. How many of you would be here if I was speaking in a different language that you did not understand? Okay, Would, would there be any opportunity for edification? There would not be, because there is no understanding. Edification requires intelligibility, or edification requires knowledge and understanding. Another example, we'll take this again from the Catholic Church. Uh, there was a time when the Catholic Church did not allow a layperson to read the Bible for himself. Um, and uh, uh, one example of this is the Catholic Church looked with great suspicion, even outright hostility, on the idea that a layperson should study the Bible for himself. The French Council of Toulouse in 1229 had actually forbidden the laity to read the Bible, either in the Latin of the Vulgate or a translation into the native tongue. That's another example, okay? Take another example. Uh, some Amish churches today have their services in high German. Same principle. When you preach and teach in a way where people cannot understand, you rob the people of edification, okay? Now, let me give you another one. This one uh, is uh, more closely related to where I stole the phrase Edification requires intelligibility, um, but uh, my friend Mark Ward has made the case based on this passage, and I think he's right, that Bible translations ought to be understandable, right? Anyone want a Bible that you can't understand? Want to have a Bible that's understandable? Uh, the King James Version, as an example, is 400 years old, 
And the English language has changed so much that much of that translation is not understandable today. Now, by the way, this is no fault of the translators. It is no fault of the translation. It is the inevitable result of language drift. I love the King James Version. It's a beautiful version, translation of the Bible. But we need to be able to understand the Bible in our language. Edification requires intelligibility. Let's go back to our opening illustration again. Church services that bypass the mind through emotion are doing the same thing. It may be more subtle. It may be less obvious than speaking it in another language. But if you are coming to a church service and the goal is simply that I could have an emotional high, that's doing the same thing. It's obscuring the truth of God. And it is simply trying to create an emotional response to something. Um, I would suggest to us that the history of, uh, we'll say the corrupt church, has frequently been the same thing, and that is to keep the Bible and to keep understanding out of the hands of the common person. That This has happened again and again and again. The Corinthian church did it by speaking in tongues. The Roman Catholic church did it by outlawing Bibles. The Roman Catholic church does it today by holding church services in Latin. The Amish church does it today by holding church services in German. The seeker-sensitive church does it today by creating an experience and neglecting to preach truth. The seeker-sensitive church does it today also by preaching on things like Hollywood movies. The charismatic church does it today by pretending to speak in tongues. And we willingly do it today ourselves by neglecting Scripture ourselves and saying, I don't need all that theology stuff. All I need is just love, and that's enough. We do it ourselves. We neglect Scripture ourselves. We are desperately... Our culture today is in desperate need of churches that will just give us the word of God. We, 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 are, we are living in a desert. As Steve Lawson said, give us some men who know the truth. We live in an ocean of information and we are drowning in ignorance. We, we are not as smart as we think we are. And I think the strategy of the past was to withhold information from people who wanted it. They wanted the Bible. They wanted information. No, you can't have it. You have to have a license to be able to have a Bible in your home, the Roman Catholic Church had at one point. That was the strategy of the past, to withhold information from people who wanted it. The strategy today is to create people who don't want the information to begin with. It is to create people who are content without having Scripture. God has ordained that he gets to your heart through your mind. Again, he did not consult us when he did this. God has ordained that he would get to the heart through the mind. Name one thing that you hold dear to your heart that did not go through your mind. Okay? You 
presumably, if you're married, love your spouse, okay? You had to get to know your spouse. And, in fact, I would say that the more you get to know your spouse, the more that you love your spouse, or that you ought to love your spouse. You have to know, it has to go through the mind. We cannot withhold truth from people, no matter how noble we would imagine the cause to be. Encouragement, upbuilding, consolation, etc., always comes through a knowledge of the truth. That is the point of this passage. If you're going to love God more and you're going to be encouraged, you're going to need to know certain things about God and his word. What does this speak of? <laughs> the priority of the word of God. The, the, we might say the holiness of the word of God. And we see the same thing, uh, theme going throughout this passage. We read in verses 4 through 5, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up what? The whole church. Now he says, I want you all to speak in tongues. He's not, he's not saying speaking in tongues as a gift is a wrong thing. He's saying, oh, I want you all to speak, all can speak in tongues, that's fine. <laughs> but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so the church might be built up. Okay, you can do tongues, but someone has to interpret it. It has, it has to be intelligible. It has to teach truth. Now remember, why is this the case? We have been... If you go all the way back to 1 Corinthians 12, we have, I don't know, had a lot of messages up until today, from 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to today's. And what is the theme that we've seen in, this cha- in the, these three chapters, 12, 13, and 14? The, the recurring theme has been that the gifts are given by God for the purpose of Serving others. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, you're not allowed to say, well, the Lord has gifted me in this way, and I'm going to conceal that from the church body. Uh, another verse where we see the same idea is uh, not in 1 Corinthians, but in 1 Peter Chapter 4 and verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's. Using your gift to serve someone else is being a steward of what God has given to you. And tongues is valuable only if it is interpreted here because what? Edification requires intelligibility. It requires that we understand the truth about God's Word. This is why we have Bible studies, so that we can understand the truth of God's Word. So, where do we go from here? I wanna, let's not lose sight of the big picture. The big, the big picture in this section of 1 Corinthians, is that as a believer in Christ, you are required 
to use your spiritual giftedness, whatever that might be, as a blessing and as an encouragement to the local church. You are not permitted, this entire section has been teaching us over and over and over and over again, to be a spectator-only Christian. Okay? This is not what God has designed the church to be as a spectator-only thing. It is a requirement that we are functioning as a body. Someone's the eye, and someone's the arm, and someone's the leg, and someone's this, and someone's that, and someone's that. And Christ is the head. Um, and there are many ways that God has gifted us. Just to name a few, God has given gifts of evangelism, wisdom, knowledge, faith, prophecy, as we saw today, service, teaching, exhortation, giving aid, mercy, helps, administration, and so on and so forth. You are here in this church to build others up. Now, in this text... In this passage, in 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 5, how does that happen? How is the church built up? And the answer is through truth. The church is built up by understanding truth. Your edification hinges on it. If you know someone here in this church who is wrestling through depression, anxiety, anger, fear, lust, hopelessness, bitterness, then what does that person need? Truth. Now, sometimes that's rebuke. Sometimes that's encouragement. But they need the content of the Word of God, right? They, they, they need to know what... Scripture says about this specific situation. They need Scripture to be brought to bear on this situation. Now, I need to say this again so that I'm not misquoted or misunderstood. We are to be gentle in our communication, okay? Ephesians 4 in verse 15 says, rather speaking the truth in what? In love. We got to grow up in every way into him who is ahead unto Christ. Um, we, th this, is, this is one of the, the uh, other themes that we've seen in 1 Corinthians, actually from the beginning, and there is truth and there is love, and we've kind of almost a ping-pong match back and forth between these two. We are never to pit these against one another. And so there are some texts that are, that are hard-hitting and saying, we need to love, and there are other texts saying, you need truth. And it's not one or the other. It's both and. Um, speaking the truth in love. So that's a given, that, that our manner in which we, we do this um, ought to be a, 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 a one that is a loving manner. That's a given. But, but the question is then, why do we need to push so strongly on giving the truth here? And our passage today indicates that the truth is tied to edification. Truth is the mechanism. Okay, so who changes us, like in our sanctification, to grow to be more Christ-like? God 
is doing this work in us. God uses means to accomplish his ends, okay? I mean, we understand this, right? He could have put the gospel message in the clouds while you were walking down the sidewalk one day, and all of a sudden, wow, there's the gospel. I should believe in that, okay? God chose to deliver that message through Scripture, and then probably most of us could say that we heard that gospel message from Scripture being delivered to us by a human instrument. God uses means to accomplish his end, and the means that he uses to grow us in sanctification is through a knowledge of the truth. We see this all throughout Scripture. Here's a couple examples. Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word is accomplishing these things. John 8, 32, Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Colossians three ten, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We talk a lot about the renewing of your mind. The mind plays such a key part in sanctification, that God is giving us truth through the mind. Now, I would say that we are so fearful of offending people today that sometimes we find it easier to obscure the truth rather than offending people. So the next time maybe your spouse is struggling with worry, you must give truth. You might say, this is how you're not trusting the Lord in this situation. You need to repent of this and trust in God's providence. Again, you can be nice about this, okay? But it has to be the truth. The next time you have a friend struggling through discontentment, you must give the truth. You might say, you love this thing so much that you're idolizing it when you don't get it. You have to repent of this false worship and be content in Christ alone. Again, truth in love. You could be nice about it, but you have to give truth. The next time your child is struggling with a, a bad attitude, you must give the truth. You might say that you're demonstrating that more than anything else, you love you right now. You need to repent of your pride and your selfishness. And we could multiply these, these examples. If, if someone is drowning in a river, you don't save them through emotionalism. <laughs> you have to throw something out, a rope, a, a, a life preserver, whatever it is, out to them. That is the function of truth. Truth is that mechanism which changes and grows us to be more like Christ, the renewing of our mind. The next time you see someone struggling with discouragement, you must give the truth. You might say, take heart. The Lord is greater than this situation. 
Run to him and his sufficiency. You don't need that to be satisfied. All you need is Christ. Turn away from seeking your joy in things that don't satisfy and look to Christ. What do they need? They need truth. What do I need? I need truth. And of course, this should and can be done with gentleness, with patience, with meekness, with a calm and stable voice. But it must be done nonetheless. Do not be afraid of offending. We need to give the truth. I just have really two points of application today. Um, and these could, um, we, we could draw uh, many sub-applications off of these as well. But maybe two broad uh, applications as we look at uh, applying this passage. The first one is this, simply devote yourself to the study of Scripture so that you can build up the church with the truth. What I mean by this is if someone in the church, someone in your family is wrestling through a particular thing, you need to have the equipment, you need to have the toolbox accessible to be able to help that person through that scenario, through that situation. And that toolbox is the Word of God. And so, yes, while there is a component of Scripture that edifies me, there is a component to it that when it edifies me, I can use it to edify others. And if I am not equipped, if I don't know Scripture, then, then I'm not going to be adequately equipped to be able to help that person who is drowning and in need of assistance. You will never waste time reading, studying Scripture. You, you, you will never waste time adding more Scripture reading and study to your schedule. Okay, That's the first application. Uh, the second application... Has to, go, has to do with this idea of love and, and truth. Do not pit love against truth. Both are, are necessary. Remember that love is the vehicle of edification and truth is the content of edification. Um, when you are edifying, encouraging, building up someone, let's say as an example in this church, okay, that edification is coming through the delivery truck of love. You're not being a jerk about it. You're being loving in delivery. But what is inside of that delivery vehicle, that delivery truck? What is, what is the content? What is the actual package that's coming to you? And it is truth. That's what's being delivered, okay? But it's being delivered in a gracious and loving and patient way, by the way. Um, I'm not saying that if, if someone goes through, uh, a loved one dies or something like that, that you immediately walk in and you just start, you know, just hitting them <laughs> Okay, there is certainly room for simply putting your arm around this person and weeping together. Okay, yes, that is what we are called to do. Um, 
But if we are ultimately going to be an encouragement at some point, maybe not today, maybe tomorrow, I am, let me encourage you from Scripture with some of these things. Um, because th- that tie cannot be detached, cannot be unplugged. Edification requires intelligibility. It requires understanding about God's Word. So may we be people who study the Word of God so that we are equipped to apply this balm to our own souls, but also to the souls of others in our church, in our families, in our community, because Scripture is always sufficient. And of course, the central message of Scripture and the central part about this that is crucial for us to understand that cannot happen without knowledge is the gospel message that Jesus Christ died on a cross and died in your stead so that anyone who repents and believes in Christ will be saved. That repenting and believing on Christ does not happen because you randomly thought of it one day. It happens because that message of the gospel was delivered to you. And so if you are one who does not know that message of the gospel, does not know Christ, I would like to ask that you would trust in Christ. I would be happy to talk with you afterwards. Um, We also have another opportunity at 4 o'clock today um, to talk more about this as well um, for our hymn, sing, and baptism, and would invite you um, to talk more about knowing Christ. Thank you, God, for today and for your word and for its sufficiency. We thank you that you have ordained our edification to come through the content of your word that increases our need to study scripture, to sing hymns and songs that are rich with gospel content, with scripture content, that we would know you more. And I pray that by knowing you more, we would love you more. We thank you for your grace to us. We thank you for your love to us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.